0: Buenos dias, soy Carlos Blanco, jugador de la Selección Española de Rugby 7. y ustedes están viendo Raga Matrix.
1: This is Raga Matrix International, episode 156, Viva España. They drew with the All Blacks, now they head north for the Autumn Internationals. Here from Robbie Deans.
2: The guys are looking forward to this, to this trip.
1: Meet Ireland's new attack coach.
3: Our own Les Kiss. You know, quite a confidence boost. The players were keen for me to come on board and do a, uh, take over the attack more full time. And
1: top 14 would start centre Morgan Turanui.
4: For us this year, it's make the top six.
1: And IRB sevens with Spain's Carlos Blanco.
0: It's a struggle, but but it's a struggle we want to fight because we all love we all love rugby. Rugger Matrix, as always, is brought to you by Strike. Visit
1: strike.com.au and get 10% off using the Rugger Matrix code on checkout. And welcome to the show. Hello, I'm your host, Juro Sen. And this is show 156. And what about that introduction by Carlos Blanco? What a great fella. We'll hear from him later on with our man Stewie Adam. But uh, I have to report off the bat that there's no Mark Cashman. Yes, Grandpa Simpson has already gone to bed, so we won't be hearing from Casho. But who cares? We've got plenty of special guests and lots to get through in this power-packed episode of Rugger Matrix international and first of all let's get through the touring squads now we can't go through all the details you can obviously find that online but the important thing about the wallaby tour that's going to the uk uh, is that uh, when they play france they'll be doing it without scott higginbotham and england that was obvious because he was suspended for two weeks or two matches after kneeing and headbutting richard mccall in the third and final blitterslow last weekend 18 all draw that one and uh, he was rubbed out of the squad as well, so a double punishment for poor old Scott Higginbotham. He's a good fella, uh, obviously deserved the two-game suspension, but, you know, a bit rough to get the four games all up uh, because he's missing out on the tour. Well, earlier today I went to the Wallabies press conference. Coach Robbie Deans was there, and I fired off a couple of questions off the head, the first about Scott Higginbotham and the rest of the tour. How
2: hard a decision was it with Scott Higginbotham? Yeah, uh, it's, it's never easy leaving players behind, you know, you know, Scottie's been a big part of our program all year obviously, but when it came down to, to the reality of it, you know, we've got two tough mis- test matches right at the front end um, and, and Scotty wasn't available to us for those, so we had to make sure that we had what, what we needed to, um, to do well in those games.
1: There's a lot at stake with rating, uh, rankings too at the end of the year. So, oh, that's
2: support. yeah, that's a constant. I mean, it, it's the you know the guys are looking forward to this to this trip. We've got some good test matches. You know, starting in in, in Paris, and uh, the French are pretty keen to see us. You know, last time we were there, we put uh, sixty points around them, so they won't have forgotten that. Um, and they'll be they'll be looking forward to our visit. You know, we go from there to to Twickenham. Um, you know, 2008-2009 we went back to back there but the last time we were there we suffered so the Cook Cup's up for grabs and, and that's something we'd like to get our hands on.
1: A couple of key things about injuries too for the Wallabies. Returning are Stephen Moore and David Pocock. Now David Pocock was captain before he got injured uh, but they've decided to keep Nathan sharp. He's going to see the job all the way through until his final game against Wales
2: just to be a wallaby is a, is a privilege and uh, he's been around long enough now to, to understand that and he's, he's seen in this group that it's not so much about whether you're in or out of the group anymore. it's about what you do when you are there and um, I think that's an important step that we've taken and I think it's an, it's an important piece of understanding that we need to retain What makes sharp a better live than Pokok? Who said he was a better leader? He's he's well, done a pick, great
5: job. You picked your best leader, yeah. the captain of your side. You're well, he's he's
2: side. yeah he's in the saddle now. He's doing a good job. It's continuity. Yeah, he's done a great job. He's been a good source of as we've talked about, a good source of composure for for the group around him. Uh, and I've got no doubt he'll con- continue to be that until he opts to uh, to walk away. You're
4: expecting Pocock to be right for the Paris Test?
2: Uh, no, right. unlikely unlikely Paris, but uh, yeah, likely Twickenham.
1: There he is, Wallaby coach Robbie Deans, with a few thoughts about Australia's tour of Europe and the UK. It's not the only series coming up in the autumn in the Northern Hemisphere, and we'll be talking to our special guest in a moment. In fact, this guy over my shoulder, Brett Sheehan, is going to make way for our first guest. Incidentally, that shot was taken in 2005. I snapped the great Brett Sheehan after he played against Romania in Bucharest, and uh, he copped a nasty gash to the chin. Hasn't affected his good looks, though. But uh, Brett Sheehan making way for our first guest, who is, of course, is our regular from day one, and it's Les Kiss, the wonderful attack coach. Now with Anthony Foley coming on to do defence, and Kissy, thanks for joining us. What a great move!
3: Yeah, g'day, Bronk. How are you, mate? Yeah, look, there's there's just been another sort of evolution in in how uh, Declan has wanted to deliver uh, the type of coaching we have in the group, and um, uh, you know, quite a confidence boost. The players were keen for me to come on board and do, uh, take over the attack more full time and 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 concentrate and focus on that. Um, we're very fortunate within the whole makeup to be able to have someone like Anthony Foley in the system, who you know built a, a great rapport with over the last four years since I've been here. Um, we have very similar beliefs uh, on on defence. Uh, the way they run their system is not too far removed from how we run ours. Uh, so he, it's not about him coming in and, and trying to create something new. He's, he's very happy with a lot of things there, and he'll bring his own touches and his own nuances and, and focuses on on defence. And, and you know he'll be leading that for us while he's with us over the November series. And it gives me a chance to. Um, Uh, to put more focus into some other finer details of our attack shape and and, and how we're going to uh, attack from now on. Now, uh, you couldn't ask for a bigger ask than to to go up against the Springboks, but um, that's what it is, and um, we're looking forward to it. Uh, With all the announcements of international squads around the world at the moment, it's it's starting to heat up again for that exciting time of the year.
1: Well, I think it's a timely reminder that to be good at defence, you have to understand attack and vice versa.
3: Yeah, look, I think uh, those things are being understood more and more. Look, specialist coaching is important, getting the right people in the right place, but ultimately the, the game transitions between attack and defence, even a set piece to a defence and set piece to attack and, and how the whole game sort of merges into these uh, into these elements that cross over a lot, uh, demand that you you can you can flex in terms of your thinking, be agile in in terms of how your mindset works uh, from defence to attack, set-piece to attack, set-piece to defence, a kicking game. All those things start to, uh, you know, is challenging coaching it more and more. Um, So, ultimately, I think a lot more coaches are getting skilled in in other elements of the game. You know, I, I remember when I first involved in rugby 12, 13 years ago. Working with backs coaches who knew nothing about lineouts, nothing about maul. All they did was look after backs, and uh, it was so far removed. But it's become such a demand now to know all the nuances of the game and how they fit together more completely. And and um, you know, it's probably just a reflection of how we're trying to evolve our game. And you know, my focus has been defence for a long time. I've always had my input in, in attack, in the last. Eight tests. I've had a heavy influence on our attack, and and we've had some really good results. You know, the highest try scorers in the Six Nations, uh, which is the first time that's happened for a while, and the most tries we scored for a while in the Six Nations, and um, and and a lot of things that the players were very uh, encouraged by and wanted to wanted to advance. So it's just led to that that evolution, and and it's handy to have someone like Axel or Anthony to come in and help us out. I think in the end it's it's always been a work in progress here. We've we spoke about how we can improve things. We've always spoken about who who does what and how we share roles and how we we make things work together as a coaching team and um you know Axel might have the defense and Gert might have the forwards and I might have the attack and backs but you know Declan pulls it all together that we're all helping each other and making sure that all our collective expertise comes through in the right
1: way. Well you've got some muscular challenges ahead don't you? I mean, you've got South Africa, you've got Argentina, you've got Fiji. Fiji also with flair as well as being tough. But I reckon Argentina, they're going to be tough, mate, because their experience in the Southern Hemisphere's rugby championship are going to make them incredibly difficult.
3: Look, it's... I think it's going to help them immensely what they've been through with the Four Nations or the Rugby Championship, sorry. I uh, know oh, you don't like that even,
1: one. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: even before that, though, Bronk, you have to accept that the Argentinian team has always been a very well-coached team. I think um, Santiago Filan does a very good job with them. I think uh, a well-coached team and, and I think they'll gain great experience. They probably didn't get the return they probably wanted it from these Four Nations Rugby Championship. Sorry, they didn't get a return what they wanted, but I think they would have gained a lot from it. They're going to be absolutely tough. My time with Ireland, we played uh, Argentina twice. Uh, two games that you wouldn't write home about. They were just dour affairs, and they've got this gnarly physicalness about them that you have to meet and match. And um, and we beat them twice. The second time we had a record score against them, and that, that Ireland have had against them. So. But I've found them very satisfying victories because you, you really earn your victories against Argentina, so they're going to be a tough nut to crack. But first up um, is the, is the Springboks who are coming off, you know, a, a rugby championship. Got it right that time, uh, you know, well settled. A couple of injuries, but I, you know, how what depth they have there and the size and power and physicality that they carry. So if there's if there's something that's going to concentrate the mind, it's a it's a test against the Springboks and. Um, uh, despite the fact that we're probably carrying a few injuries and, and 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 a few doubts here and there, we, we, the boys will be up for it. It's going to be a massive November for us, and um, we're hopeful that we can we can do the job. And and if we do approach it right, we know on any given day we can do the job. So get out there, buy some tickets, guys,
1: come and watch us. So, do your squad now, and a couple of new faces, but that had to happen, didn't it?
3: Well definitely uh, there's always been you know introduction of players on the way but we've uh, picked a squad of 30, 31. Um, you know used to speak of squads of 30s you know 16 forwards and 14 backs and all this sort of stuff and but now it's you got know, the extra prop that comes into play so a squad of 31 with 17 forwards and 14 backs but you know we've still got room there to move on a couple of positions we're waiting to watch some games in the weekend and um and there's no fate of complete in, in terms of who's going to be starting at this stage obviously there's certain guys you know will start but there's some guys who will put their hand up and, and going to challenge the status quo and uh you know, Ian Henderson is a great young player from up at Ulster who's done a sensational job. Uh, Ferris is, has, hasn't been able to play the last couple of weeks. We we missed Ferris on the New Zealand Tour, but he's come back in some great form. And um, while he's been out, uh, Ian Henderson has filled in admirably for him at number six, and he's a good, young, physical, young beast who feels looks like he belongs out in the pitch there, you know, 20, 21-year-old. And um, he's in the squad. Dave Kilcoyne, a number one, a loose head from uh, Munster, who's done some really good done a really good job on, on the loose head side there and you know the other week he scrum well against racing uh, Metro a, against an international uh, prop, tight head prop in ducalcon and, and he's, so he's done a really good job recently so it's probably some work to do and some development still but he's a great ball carrier and he looks good you know, he's putting heat on the likes of um, Tom Court and those to, to, to keep playing well. Uh, the the other two players that are in our squad is um, a young guy called Luke Marshall is a young number 12 and you know number 12 is a a position that's been held for a long time by Gordon Darcy and rightly so he's a great for us and he's a very good player but he only had his first game back from injury last week and as Darcy can do he just put a blinder and he was very good Uh, and probably the first pick at this stage but with the likes of, um, you know, D- James Downey and Paddy Wallace around there, they're in the, around the 30-year-old bracket. And there's a young kid and Luke Marshall, 20, 21 years old, a young guy called Dave McSharry out at, Mc- at Connor doing very well. We just thought it was the right time to bring someone in young and um, expose them to the system even further and and see how they develop in training. And, you know, you never know what happens, mate. You, I, I believe that you can pr- put young guys into good teams and they can perform well most levels and um, if if they're prepared well and and they have certain attributes and uh, the last guy I mentioned is Rickard Strauss who's who's now qualified or will be qualified when that test comes along Uh, a South African to be qualified Irish player and um, he's been selected in the squad so barring injury he's got a chance to probably to wear a green jersey.
1: Great stuff Les well thanks for taking the call mate Uh, we really appreciate it but we wanted to get the latest from you for our Irish listeners and viewers and I've got to say Let's go, attack man!
3: Yeah, cheers, mate. Look, I'm looking forward to it. It's uh, it's it's just advancing along what I've been doing the last six or twelve months anyway. But um, and I can focus on it more, having um, you know the coach and team we got. Um, you know, very good. I, Having Axel come on board is very good for us as well. You know, his expertise will come through in, in defence. He's going to lead a lot of that. I'll, I'll still be helping out in that area, in, in terms of starter of defence. Uh, but he's he's a breakdown expert. You know, he was a, a number eight that could work across the park. He had great skills, and he also understands the nature of the breakdown and how the game flows. So he'll be helping us out with uh, in, in areas of the breakdown as well. So there's a lot of skill set he brings that that can actually complement. Uh, Gert Small, who's, who's our forwards coach. So they're going to work together as a team and and really looking forward to it. So overall, um, I think it's a plus around, all around. And um, uh, touch wood, it all goes well for us, mate, because it'd be nice to to, to get a win-up for, for the Irish fans here.
1: Absolutely, mate, and uh, we appreciate your time. I know you're really busy at the moment, so good luck for the Autumn Series.
3: Cheers, mate. And I must say just one thing, uh, well done, Wallabies. That was, you know, showed some tick of the boys to get out there and do what they did last week and um, exceptional work. But uh, I'm, I've am i got the green shamrock on, mate, so I'm, I'm an Irishman now. I'll go, let's go the Irish against the Springboks. See you, mate.
1: Oh, look at him, the great man, Les Kiss, and we do appreciate his time. Let's keep the ball rolling now and head to a handsome looking centre from start front say Morgan Turanui to talk all things top 14. Thanks mate, that's very nice
4: of you to say, it was probably a lie.
1: Well first of all mate, how you been going? How's the family? We haven't spoken to you for a while.
4: Yeah, pretty good. We, uh, we're just starting to get the cold now so it's been good until now. We've had a Couple of chilly mornings and a bit of fog hanging around those sorts of things So we're starting to batter down for winter But we've uh, been chasing the Sun around France over the last few months. So it's been pretty good
1: Take us through your season so far. You've been winning the home games the away games a bit tough. What's the progress so far?
4: Yeah, well, I think we're in about eighth position So we won our home games had a draw at home and we lost away and we, we beat Montemarsan who were the team that came up from Prodi 2 last Season uh, away from home. So it's sort of you know an average start the three big teams this year obviously are Toulon with, you know, they've got two international teams almost, Toulouse and Clermont, So that's pretty normal. And then there's a there's us in a band below with teams like and ritz and the Perpignons and teams like that. Racing Metro, the other the, the other Ile de France or Parisian team are going well. So all the usual suspects are there and thereabouts. The big surprise has been Grenoble, who were the other team that came up from Pro Dirt. From the second division, and they've come up there, guys. That there's some names that people will recognise from there, like Ben Han, Henry Vanderglass, uh, the young Hegarty, the young Hooker who was at the Brumbies. Yeah, well, I think we're in about eighth position. So we won our home games, at a draw at home, and we lost away. And we we beat Montemarsan who was a team that came up from Prodeur last season away from home. So it's sort of you know an average start. The three big teams this year obviously are Toulon with, you know, they've got two international teams almost, Toulouse and Clermont, so that's pretty normal. And then there's a there's us in a band below with teams like and Biritz and the Perpignons and teams like that, Racing Metro, the other the, the other Ile de France or Parisian team are going well. So all the usual suspects are there and thereabouts. The big surprise has been Grenoble, who were the other team that came up from Pro Dirt, from the second division and they've come up there guys that there's some names that people will recognise from there like Ben Han, Henry Vanderglass, uh, the young Hegarty, the young hooker who was at the Brumbies, there's a few Aussies in that team and old Andrew Farley who's the Aussie guy who's been their captain for all, they've come up from Prodeter and they're in fifth position at the moment so they've won a fair few games already so they're, they're probably the surprise packets of the season so far.
1: Are they happy where you are at the moment Morgan?
4: Obviously, we, it would have been nice to pick up a few wins away from home early in the year, but uh, we're sort of where we deserve to be. You know, we've been good enough at home and, and haven't got the job done away from home. On this Saturday, we've got a big game. One of our big games of the year, we played Toulouse at home and Stade de France. So, it'll one of our big games in front of 70,000 with the with the fireworks and the pink everywhere and those sorts of games. So, they're important games, not just for the team, but for the club to, to sell our brand to the, the, the Parisian environment.
1: Important time as we head into the autumn series. How does it impact the clubs in France?
4: Yeah, that'll hugely impact us. We've talked about it before. Obviously, we where you know over here the competitions keep running. We'll have there's a four week window for the the tests in November, and we'll have two of those weekends off. But the other two weekends we'll have games. And also, you have to remember over here also, there's we have players from places like America, Samoa. Tonga, even Georgia, they all have test matches in this window period. So it's not just the big countries. We don't have to just worry about our French internationals. We've got three guys picked in the French international squad. Pascal Papé, will be there, who may be their captain now with Thierry Dussatois looking like he'll be out injured. I saw him injure his knee against the Italian team in the Heineken Cup on the weekend. It looks like he'll definitely miss the Australian game anyway. So that's probably good news for the Wallabies. And we've got uh, two other guys in the squad. But apart from that, we've got a couple of Argentinian guys. Those, Those guys have tests as well. Now, we've got a Georgian and an American, so they go off for their test matches. We've got a guy like Paul Williams, who's the captain of Samoa. So we lose those sorts of guys as well, not just the French internationals. So those sorts of things do impact our competition in our clubs. We're, we're not the worst hit, but we're, we're right up there.
1: How big a blow is the loss of Dessertois?
4: I think they're pretty lucky in the back row at the moment, the, the French team. Obviously, the, the big thing is he's their captain. Uh, the bulk of their plays will be coming from the Toulouse, Claremont and Toulon squads. And obviously, um, th- they've also picked a lot of the young guys coming through uh, the Toulouse system and the Toulon system. So having a really strong leader like a Trois, I thought, would have been pretty important for them. And obviously, you know, I think he was elected the International Player of the Year last year. So they lose his playing ability as well. It will impact them. But uh, this November test for them is more uh, a development of the, of the French team that will go on to the, the next World Cup and also into next year's Six Nations. You know, obviously Australia and, and those sorts of teams coming from the Southern Hemisphere, it's the end of the year. But for the French teams, it's right in the middle of the season. That's also a precursor for the, the Six Nations. So I think for both teams, both the Southern Hemisphere teams and the Northern Hemisphere teams this year, will be a, a feeling out process of where their teams are going and what their team will look like in the next two years.
1: From a coaching point of view, it ended badly in the 2011 World Cup. So this is really the moment for France to move forward, isn't it?
4: Yeah, I think that's a big thing. I think with all teams in the Six Nations, especially the French team, is the Six Nations, which will start in February of next year, are just around the corner. And that's where all the coaches, all the teams need to start hitting their straps, having good results. The Six Nations is the be-all and end-all over here, international rugby in between the World Cups. Uh, you know, obviously the other teams from the, the home unions, their individual players will be looking to make that Lions tour up. Uh, so, that you know, the home unions teams who perform well in the next year's Six Nations will, will obviously have a strong representation in the Lions, too, which, which all players are always excited about. So, the next year's Six Nations is a really big competition. With um, the French team, they're looking to develop their team. They're looking that some guys like the Julian Bonairs and, play, and the Sebastian Chabals have and the William Servats have, have retired, retired from international rugby. And so, their places are looking to be filled by other players. And there's a lot of young guys. There's a young 18-year-old center that's been picked in the the extended French squad who plays for Toulouse. Uh, There's a young 20-year-old, 21-year-old fly half that we haven't started from, say, Jules Plisson, who's been picked as well. So the the Philippe Saint-André has shown that he's He's happy to pick some of these young, unblooded guys to see if some can stand up at test level in this November test series and see if they'll be able to cope with the pressures of a Six Nations. So it's it's important in terms of their development. Obviously, he talked about the way they finish with the World Cup in terms of their their coach and those sorts of things. In the end, half the players weren't even talking to their coach and it just shows the, the, the mental aspects sometimes and the emotional aspects of French rugby when the French team goes so well in a World Cup when they can't even speak to their coach. Uh, from that you know the 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 great strength of france at the moment is the top 14 is a really tough really strong competition and the only tough thing about that is there's so many foreigners here it's a good thing for me because i get to live here in paris and play in the french competition but the hard thing for a french team is for example in the position of number 10 in you know 70 to 80% of the french top 14 teams it's a foreigner playing 10 most weeks so they're having a real problem in certain positions developing players Number 10 is a, a big one like that so you have, at the moment, you have François Trindouk at Montpellier, you have um, you have Lionel Boxis at Toulouse who's injured so he won't be in the squad. I've mentioned Young Plisson from our squad who's been picked and they've got Michelac that can play 9 and 10 and from there, it's a, their stocks are quite thin and you think about they've got 30 professional clubs, the top 14 in the Pro D'Or, and there's only two or three tens that they're really looking at picking. That's the difficulty of the top 14 in that there's so many foreigners here. But the great strength is that their players play tough rugby week in, week out.
1: You make an excellent point, Morgan, but the clubs really rule the roost over there. So it's hard for the governing body to intervene when it comes to positions.
4: Yeah, there is a rule that they brought in a couple of years ago called the GIF. It's like, it's a, roughly translated from French to English. It's a, a foreign player rule of how many a percentage of how many players in your squad can be foreigners. Now you look at the Toulouse Toulouse and Toulon teams, Toulon's probably the best example. You look at Toulon and you see, oh I I don't know how they can possibly under their percentage, but the rule includes the academy. So what many clubs are doing is making sure that all their academy, which is called the Santa Formation over here, is full of French players and they count towards a percentage. So you look at a Toulon who still has many, many foreigners, but their younger players the good thing for those younger players is they're influenced by some of the foreigners and they can be helped in that way but the tough thing is they're stuck behind foreigners and not playing much. So clubs are still getting around that rule a little bit so there is an intent there to restrict the number of, of non-French players over here but also they want to be careful because they pride themselves on it being such a good competition as well and, and they do value the, the input that the foreigners have in making the competition so hard.
1: But that doesn't account for positional allocation though.
4: Yeah, it is. You could have you know, have 30 French props and, and no French backs if you wanted to do it that way. That's the, the, the frailty in that rule and, and, that's, and you look at the, the position that Philippe saint andre finds himself in in a position like 10 where he's not really spoilt for choice. Um, you know, I'm not sure what they're going to do to address that because as you said, the clubs are the ones that put the money in. The pres- Some presidents individually are putting in up to 10 million euros each each year to prop up clubs. Other clubs are run by their city or the, a club like Claremont is, is influenced by Michelin, the Thai company there. So those sorts of organisations and people, they're the ones putting the money in and they're the ones that want to have the voice. So there's always that, that balance of influence between the people putting the money in and the, obviously the people running the French team, the FFR.
1: You've experienced both ends of this though. No imports in Australia, many in France, but now marquee players are allowed in in Australia What's the best way to go? I think
4: we've got the balance right in Australia. The the only real reason that foreign players and marquee players are allowed is because we've gone up to five teams. When you had three teams and even probably when we got to four teams, we had enough players to cover that. Three teams, you you don't need a foreign player. Um, You've got really intense competition for the three provinces to get spots there. We had enough players for that. Now we went quite quickly from three to four and then from four to five. That was quite a quick jump. We were at three for a long time. Then we went to four, and then a couple of years later, we got to five already. So um, you know that that's understandable in that regard. The, the tough thing is now you look at the Argentinians. Um, you know that's their big struggle: which competition they play in. Do we allow them in? And in the end, the RU really will be paying Argentinians to play in our competition, take some of our players' spots, and then we'll be playing against them in the Four Nations. Um, You know, that sort of thing is is what happens here in the French clubs all the time. There's English and Welsh and and all those sorts of places playing in the competition, being paid by French clubs, not by the union. That's probably the big difference here. But then afterwards they go away and they play against France. You know The thing here is we have a centralised pay system in Australia and it's decentralised here in, in France, so that's the big difference. At least over here it's not the French rugby union paying these foreigners to be here and then having to play against them. If we were to allow more and more foreigners to come in to the Australian teams, in essence we would be paying players that we were about to play against later on. Um, the more we can guard against that, the better for Australian rugby yeah, and also when you look at those things positionally specific. Um, it's always good to have a clause that you, you, know, you must be developing that position behind a foreign or marquee player.
1: There was speculation, since dismissed I might add, by Coach Robbie Deans that Matt Guido and Luke Burgess were going to be approached to fill a bit of a hole for Australia. Now that's a top-down decision, so the Australian team comes first. But in France it's all about the clubs first, otherwise you wouldn't have so many foreign players in the competition.
4: Yeah, so you, you take an example an extreme example of last year where if you, you everyone would probably remember the, the test against Ireland that started to France was called off because the field froze Now that that game was delayed the week later and obviously all those players that were supposed to play for France that week were supposed to play for their clubs the week after and there for a long while that week there was talk of the clubs not allowing their players to play. The international because they were supposed to be playing for their club. Now that situation would never happen in Australia because in the end it would be centralised. There's not that huge clash, and that's what the problem is over here. Is that you know the French clubs and some of the French presidents they want to protect their investment, which is you know a valid reason. Those sorts of things. It was very close to the French players not being able to play in a Six Nations delayed Test match, and the, the good thing in Australia is we never never, ever come really come to that situation. But it just shows the difference in the way things are approached over here.
1: What's the plan for your mighty club in Europe? You're in the Amlin Challenge. You're going okay, though.
4: Yeah, we won our two games in in the first two rounds of the Amlin Challenge, which is the second tier of the Heineken Cup. For us, it's all about making the top six in the in the top 14. You make the top six, you, you go to Heineken the next year, and then you now, starts out a few lean years. The, you know, the history of our club over the last couple of years is obviously very complicated, uh, When Michael Checker came, he inherited a team. At the end of that year, his president went broke. And he tried. He had to recruit a team, um, you know, pretty much not knowing what was happening, with, with no money, not knowing if the club was going to be down an amateur level. Like he's lucky he could get cheap guys like me to come and play just for the love of the game. You know, otherwise uh, it would have been a struggle. But um, and then you know, obviously Michael, Michael was let go at the end of the year. So you've got uh, you know there's ten to twelve guys who came, who were brought to the club by Michael, who are foreigners, who you know really a guy like me, I would never have come really if it wasn't for Michael. But obviously we're very loyal to the club we've signed with as well. So, you know, that, that there's been some teething problems a bit this year with with things happening and, and now the club has to really go on a big recruitment drive, I'd say, to, to get a couple of big players to put Stade say, back where it is used to being, where it has the habit of being, up there with the Toulouses and the Claremont's and the and the Toulons. And you know, the the big the great thing about our club is we can have a big day at Start de where we get seventy thousand people to come to a game and not many clubs can do that. And we're a we're a jersey and a name that's known around the world. So we have that ability. We went and played Argentina in the lead up just before their Four Nations debut. And we beat them in a game over there on their home soil. And and we were able to, to you know we're a big Adidas team with the big pink jerseys and the flowers and that, so we're quite a famous team when we travel. So we're we're looking to take our club around the world as well, but at the same time, our bread and butter is obviously success at top 14. So for us this year, it's make the top six and get us back up there in the finals where we we should be, and then from there, really stay in there and make a habit of being back there as we were three or four years ago.
1: I'd love your opinion on the All Blacks side. They were going for 17 straight wins, but the Wallabies stopped it with an 18 draw last weekend, quite a courageous effort. But where does this New Zealand side sit in history for you? Well, you look at it,
4: it's, when they've gone through it, they, they lost the end of the Tri-Nations and they went through the World Cup. You want to win the World Cup, you go through the World Cup undefeated. Simple as that. They did that. And lots of teams have you know retirements at the end of World Cups or they, they, they limp out of World Cups or you know it's such a huge emotional high and those sort of things. And many teams you know, uh, plateau a little bit in their form. But they, uh, you know, and I I think the big thing for them, to be honest, was the change of coach. How many teams have won a World Cup and their coaches left? Not many. Um, You know, South Africa did it and the coach they chose didn't help them and they had a lot of retirements and, and guys or guys that probably should have retired didn't. You look at the All Blacks team. They were well prepared before. They had a, a very smooth transition of power with a new coach. So they had a brand new coach come in who was hungry. Like you look at Graham Henry, what did he say when he won the World Cup? He said he was at peace. If he decided to go on for another year or two, I'm sure he would have been very professional. But did he have that drive to be to to, to make his team the best in the world for two years in between World Cups? Like it 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 would take. Sometimes it would take a new challenge. A new person to come through, and I think Steve Hansen, obviously a fine coach, will have had a huge effect on on the, the All Blacks maintaining their standards. And the other advantage the All Blacks have is their competition for spots. And we've looked in Australia; people are talking about how we, you know, we we sometimes have to look at bringing some guys back, breaking our own golden rules, of bringing guys back from overseas to play. That shows that we're worried about our depth. With the All Blacks, if if someone's injured or even if someone's not injured, if you're not playing well, you get turned over. When there's that huge competition for spots, there's too much pressure not to play well and and that makes everyone stay at a high level. So they've got those other influences that are making them continue that high level of play and also they're a damn good rugby side. You put all those things together and it shouldn't surprise anyone that that they've maintained their high standard. And it also shouldn't surprise anyone that if anyone was going to stop their run, it was us and it was the Wallabies when they're under pressure because there's no more dangerous side in the world of rugby, in my opinion, than a Wallaby side under pressure, a Wallaby side written off. And it, the, I saw Nathan Sharp quite a few times uh, in the last sort of month saying that it's something that we do need to get away from and that we need to find that. I don't know if it's killer instinct or that, that maybe it's professionalism, maybe it's hunger, I'm not sure what the word is, that, that ability to be consistent over a period of time. If we want to see an example of how to do that, well, we, we look at the All Blacks, and we need to find that in our psyche within our Wallabies team to be able to do that.
1: That's something the Australians have lacked for a while, though. Even under Rob McQueen, the Wallabies could never put a team to the sword. But you look at the contest within the All Blacks. Mills Mulyana, Richie McCaw... And then at the weekend, Kevin Mialamu played 100 games for the All Blacks. That's it, just three players, Morgan.
4: Yeah, and that's the thing, as we mentioned, it's the competition for spots is just is just enormous there. And Miyalamu, he's been in and out of the side a bit as well. He hasn't always been the starter. Hall took his spot for a while. He was behind, even a guy like Anton Oliver, he was behind him for a long period. You know, and you look at... Um, Uh, Even Aina, you know, probably the reason he got to 100 tests is because he was so versatile He got to play different positions, but he wasn't always at 15 He didn't play 100 tests at 15. He played 13 on the wing and those sorts of things and it's a tough team to get into And it's a tough team to stay into and and exactly as you said it. That's one of their great strengths
1: Okay, Morgan. Thanks very much. Oh, by the way, you didn't hear it, but uh, Les Kiss was on earlier He's now attack coach with Ireland shaping that team. He can do everything
4: yeah, I'm a bit worried. Actually, I'm going to see a couple of old mouse traps or something at the back of rucks in the Six Nations from the island. If if Kissy's doing the uh, if Kissy's doing the attack, so I'll be looking with interest to see what he comes up with.
1: Okay, Morgs. Uh, thanks for your time and uh, good luck in your big game this weekend. It's going to be huge, and good luck in your charge towards the top six. Long way to go yet.
4: Thanks, mate. Pleasure as always.
1: There he is, Morgan Turanui, joining us from Paris tonight, and you could talk to him all day, couldn't you? He's just amazing when it comes to talking about rugby all around the world and pretty much anything else for that matter. We wish him all the best of luck as he started trying get back on top in the Top 14 Amlin Cup, and let's hope they get through to the Heineken Cup for next year as well. All right, so now it's time to move on to Sevens Rugby. i have got a very special guest coming up for you soon. The 7 Series for the IRB has really been an eye-opener. It's exposing so many people to the game of rugby from the Americas uh, through to Asia. And uh, we were very lucky in Australia recently to have the Gold Coast 7s. And one of the guys who attracted a lot of attention was a player who played in the Sydney rugby competition, the Shoot Shield, now making his way for the Spanish Rugby Union team. And he played for the sevens side on the Gold Coast and played pretty well. It's a great story, and bringing it to you for us is our in-the-field reporter, the one and only Stuart Adam.
5: Thanks, Bronk. Well, Carlos Blanco joins us now. After two years away from home, you found yourself on the Gold Coast playing sevens for Spain. Must have been an unreal homecoming.
0: Mate, it was, a, it was a great experience for me. Um, a few butterflies on the first day and I think it showed with the rest of the team as well. Not our best, not our best day, but the second day we, we put it together and to be able to beat England uh, in the bowl final on home soil in front of my friends and family was, was pretty special.
5: What sort of support did you have there? I mean, you're Australian born and bred, you spent your whole life here pretty much and you went over to Spain come back. Was it great to play in front of those family and friends? Could you hear them in the crowd?
0: Mate, it was really good. Um, I Had a few few of my schoolmates there, and they started a few walk cries during the scrums, which I which I heard while I was playing. And my friends and family, my mum was screaming from the sideline. I could I heard her a couple of times as well. Um, but yeah, just had lots of people sending me messages and and texts uh, wishing me well for the weekend. Lots of old club boys from Norse and and it was a great weekend. And had a really good time.
5: Mate, talk us through your weekend on the field. I mean, Saturday wasn't great. You had three losses, but bounced back on the Sunday and. Came away with some silverware.
0: Mate, we definitely started it off a bit rusty. Uh lots of butterflies. It's it's a big it was a big occasion for us. It's the first tournament as as, as a core team in the World Series and uh that first day against Samoa and Kenya we just we missed our tackles, we didn't play well, we threw the ball away and then it showed in the score lines. But the second day it was amazing. We uh, Beat Tonga and, and Wales quite convincingly. Um, kept the ball, made our tackles, and then to beat England in an extra time was, was really special. And you know, we we celebrated well on Sunday night.
5: Did you enjoy it with the, with the teammates? You've obviously worked very hard to get into this world group to, to be able to uh, enjoy some success on the field with these guys on the world stage. Must have been great as well.
0: Exactly. It's is it our first first te- uh, first series as a as a core team. So we wanted to prove, you know, that we belonged. We belong in this in this tournament with the, with the, against these teams. Um, this group of players have been together for a long time, some of the guys have been playing in the 7's team for, for 8, 9, 10 years trying to build towards an event like this. Um, I've been involved for the last two years and it's been a special time. We've, we've gradually taken uh, lots of steps up the ladder and, and to win a bowl was pretty special.
5: What was the feeling bringing uh, your team to Australia? You were obviously the, the head of the, uh, the touring party to give them all the, uh, the lowdowns on, on everything Australian. What was that like?
0: Mate, it was great fun, actually. They all loved Australia. Um, I took them down to Byron Bay for an afternoon and they loved the beach. They loved the relaxed atmosphere of Australia. We went to a, uh, an animal sanctuary and they, uh, they couldn't get enough of the koalas and kangaroos. They, they absolutely loved it. And, uh, and afterwards they made sure they bought some uh, boomerangs which was, was quite fun trying to use in the park because we, we didn't have a clue but it was, it was good fun.
5: And um, back to playing on the on the Saturday, what were the nerves like for the guys um, through the week coming down to Australia and sort of settling in, being tourists but also having to be professional rugby players at the same time?
0: Yeah it's a, it's a hard line to to step across because yeah, you need to be really serious about your training, you need to make sure you prepare well but at the same time you're in a foreign country you want to see as many sites as you can. Um, luckily, we got we got to Gold Coast a little bit early. We got there on the Wednesday uh, Wednesday week before, um, so we had time to do everything. Uh, so it was nice and relaxed. But yeah, once the Saturday comes along, it's it's a whole new story. And, and unfortunately, we weren't ready on the Saturday, but the Sunday we were.
5: What about watching teams like Fiji that won it the the All Blacks and their seven-sided? You know, is. Is it clear that that uh, is where the benchmark is and these guys are you know, the pros, you guys are trying to work to that point, but it's uh, it's, it's a long process, isn't
0: it? It's a very long process. Uh, we've actually got Fiji and Dubai, so that'll be a good test. Um, mate. The way we look at it, as long as we're competitive, we're happy. Uh, against teams like Fiji, South Africa, Australia, uh, New Zealand, they're they're the teams that you want to be competitive against. And if you're in with a shot in the last two minutes of the game, it's sevens, anything can happen. But for us, we want to be able to beat teams like uh, Kenya, no, well, Kenya had a great tournament on the weekend, but teams like United States, Canada, Portugal, Scotland, we want to be able to beat them every time we play them because they're are direct rivals. Uh, so looking forward to Dubai, we've got Fiji and Kenya again, so they'll be tough games, and, and then Scotland, so hopefully we can get one up on them.
5: What's the sort of vibe around the team now that you know that you are going to be playing Fiji on the, on the world stage?
0: Made excited. Uh,
5: it's a good story. Some of the some of the Spanish
0: boys actually travelled to Fiji to play some sevens uh, last off season. So so they knew, know quite a few of the Fijian boys, um, and she's their big boys. So so whenever you play against them, you know there's a little bit of trepidation, but at the same time, quite excited.
5: Obviously, like you said, it's been a, a long process to get to this point in the uh, joining the world stage of the the sevens tournament. Um, how does it? What has it done to, to Spanish rugby for you guys to now be unnoticed on the world stage?
0: It's it's been huge. It's been huge. Um, the amount of support we've received from the rugby community in Spain is is immense. Um, it's brought in a whole bunch of sponsors, a lot of money from the IAB, which is helping professionalise rugby in Spain. Uh, this group of players is the first uh, fully professional group of players with the Spanish Federation in in the history of Spanish rugby. So. So we're taking baby steps towards competing with the best in the world, um, and then apart from that, we've we've actually got a bit of uh, press in 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 Spain after this tournament, which is a first for rugby. Uh, papers are usually flooded with football and football only. Um, so yeah, it's been great, and hopefully we can keep on making waves because the more attention we grab, the the better it is for rugby in Spain.
5: Speaking of press, you seem to be the most talked about rugby player in Australia last week. The other uh, Australian-born Kiwi Spanish sevens player. What's uh, what was that sort of feeling coming home to, to all the questions and talking to the papers and all the press? Did you enjoy that? Mate, I did. It was
0: really fun. Um, it is quite a quite a peculiar story. Um, I admit that much. Um, but I feel really lucky to have a Moldy mother, a Spanish father, and to have grown up and lived in Australia is is well. It's it's one of a kind, and I'm, I feel extremely lucky and. More than that I feel extremely lucky that I've been able to share share everything with, every, with my family in Spain um, and then to join the rugby community in Spain as well and to be able to represent and, and compete and produce everything that we've done over the last two years, it's, it's been a dream, dream two years.
5: What is the, the goal now, obviously this was a major step getting into the world group, what is it for this seven side in Spanish rugby now, where, where, does, it, where does everyone in the Spanish rugby community want this to, to head from here?
0: Mate, we, we just want to be on this World Series every year. So this year, the IAB have introduced the promotion and relegation into the World Series. Um, so we want to make sure that we we don't have to fight that regulation battle. Um, so yeah, as long as we're competitive, stay to be in the top ten would be would be amazing for us. It would be huge. It'd put us on the map. It'd make everybody stand up and take notice. And then we've got the World Cup at the end of the year as well. So a good show in the World Cup, if we could be top 10 in the world in sevens, we'd be, we'd be laughing.
5: In Spain, there's no question that uh, football or soccer dominates that this sporting arena over there. how has it been for you guys to try and you know, get your names out there and be known as the professional rugby side that people would probably have not much of a clue about?
0: Mate, nobody has a clue. Um, when I first went over to Spain and I met people in the street and I said, "Oh, no, I'm in Spain playing rugby." They would look at me quite quizzically. Well, "Why are you playing rugby?" I didn't realize they paid people to do that in Spain. Um, but yeah, it's it's a struggle, but but it's a struggle we want to fight because we all love we all love rugby. We're ambassadors for rugby in Spain. Um, we have a lot of responsibility to make sure that we we put Spanish rugby in the best light that we can and And look, we all love to play rugby, so at the end of the day it's about loving what you do and we're lucky enough to to do it as a job.
5: In the last two years you've obviously seen some big steps made in the sevens arena. What about the the 15-a-side game, is that um, growing as well, the numbers and the the popularity of it all?
0: Mate, we we had a good season last year in 15-a-side, we came third in the Six Nations B. um, And then this year's the World Cup qualifying cycle begins, so yeah, look, if we keep on being competitive in both it, you definitely see an influx of numbers the the only problem is in spain right now it's not the best time economically so the the money is not there um, but yeah look it's success usually breeds more success so as long as we're successful on the field the the fans will come
5: what about your seven squad obviously now full professional you guys have to travel the world. How are you going to juggle the the 15 aside, trying to qualify for the World Cup? Will you all do both, or how's that going to work out for you?
0: Right, that's a tough question that the federation and us are trying to figure out. Um, it's a lot of travel, and unfortunately, uh, a lot of our World Series events coincide with the Test match windows because, yeah, the calendars aren't quite synced. But yeah, look, um, both of us are going to try and find out the best opportunity to play both because it's representing your country and and playing rugby at the highest level, which we all want to do.
5: And I've got to ask you, you're Sydney born, went to St Joseph's College, played for Norse Rugby. How did you end up playing rugby in Spain, now travelling the world as a professional for Spain?
0: Mate, it all started with an email actually. Um, I wanted to move to Spain and I saw they had a semi-professional league, so I sent an email off to one of the clubs and they came back and said they'd love to have me. Um, So I went over there, uh, played a bit of rugby. In all, in all truth, I kind of went over there more for the culture and, and for, the, for the experience than for the rugby. Uh, didn't go to the best team over there, but luckily my coach, he knew the sevens coach, so he was able to let him know that, I, that I, was, I was an all right player, so I got a shot at the sevens team and, yeah, ended up making an impression, so I've been there ever since.
5: What about the expectations you had as a rugby player going to Spain? What, what did you think you were walking into and what did you actually walk into
0: I had no clue what I was walking into actually um I didn't know what the level of rugby would be like. The team that I went to is a semi professional team it's It's a really grassroots community it's the only rugby team in in its area of about in with a population of about four hundred thousand people so it was a really interesting experience um made it even more interesting because norm maxwell the the All black was my coach uh, for the first two years um but yeah, a bunch of amateurs, they would, they would travel two or three hours um, to, to some just to, just to train with us and to play with us because it was the only team in my region that was of a good enough level to be playing in the second division. Um, and now this team's a top division team and it's bigger rugby club and yeah, just really happy with the experience.
5: Have you seen the, um, the club competition over there evolve in the, in the time that you've been there from sort of playing the second tier, working through to the top tier for you and your side? How's the, the rugby and the quality of the rugby over there evolved?
0: It all, at the end of the day it all depends on money unfortunately. <laughs> the, uh, the crisis hit and a lot of the clubs lost a bit of money so they weren't able to professionalise as much as they would hoped. Um, but the passion is there. Um, they've expanded the, the the league to twelve teams, um, and this year we've seen a lot of competition in the league. Uh, a lot of the new teams have have, have beaten some of the more resp- uh, more respected teams, um, and it's going really well. The, but just like I said before, it's all about the money and the financial situation. So. Th- if they can find the sponsors. It, anything's the limit, really. The sky's the limit, um, and that's where I hope they're headed. Because if they can follow, if if enough exposure can trickle trickle down from our success at the top level, uh, I'm sure it'll only help the clubs.
5: And that's is that their intention is to become a professional league in Spain, and then obviously that will only breed success in the in the national arena and then onto the world stage as well.
0: Mate, exactly. Look, uh, there's clubs that want to be playing in Europe at the same time as playing in Spain, so if you're not professional you don't have the opportunity to play against the best teams in Europe and and that's where a lot of the clubs are heading they're trying to professionalize as much as possible um so you get a bit of a two tier two tier league between those teams that have the money to professionalize and those teams that don't but but yeah all the teams love rugby they love competing and and that's i guess the bottom line at the at the end of the day
5: Sounds like there's a lot of ambition there. Are there players now that are playing in your competition that have that dream of the professional goal that they wouldn't have had, say, two years ago?
0: Mate, absolutely. A lot of a lot of the Spanish players and uh, head to France and to England to try and further their careers. Um, but you see quite a few of them returning now because there's the money available for them to, pro- to play professionally in Spain. Um, in my team, we had a few juniors from other areas of Spain come to play with us with the with the hope of getting a contract with the team to, to play in the top division in Spain. So there are those opportunities. Um, and the fact of the matter is if you're not you're not playing at the highest level that you can, you don't have the chance to to play for the national team. So I think a lot of the players realise that.
5: What about the Spanish lifestyle, mate? Are you fitting in comfortably over there with the tapas and the hot the whole scene in the in the Spain?
0: Mate, I'm loving it. I am absolutely I'm a pretty relaxed sort of guy so they're kind of laid, laid back about the way they approach life. They uh, have their siestas in the middle of the day, which are fantastic. Um, lots of tapas and sangria, and they're just, they're probably the most sociable people I know. They, um, a night out in Spain is one of the funnest nights you'll have. It's it's about eating, it's about having a couple of copas, a couple of cañas, and then, and then yeah, just enjoying each other's company. And it's, yeah, actually, yeah, I love Spain. It's a great place.
5: Mate, when you were living in Sydney before you left, you're uh, Carlos Blanco by day, but Charlie White by night, uh, hitting the DJ scene. Are you were uh, keeping the boys entertained with some tunes on tour.
0: Mate, unfortunately, unfortunately not. My uh, taste in music is a bit different to the taste in music in Spain. <laughs> they like their Latin beats a little bit a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm known as Charlie to all of them actually, because uh, it, it makes a bit more sense for them because I speak better English than Spanish. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's it's really fun over there. It's a great scene, and and the great t- guys in the team are great blokes. So we ha- we have a bit of a family uh, feel within the team, and it's yeah, it's a great place.
5: What about you being accepted as an Australian? Obviously, there were some language barriers, culture barriers. How did you fit in, and was it a, a smooth process, or did it take a little while?
0: Mate, it was really smooth. The Spanish people are really are really friendly and really kind. Um, I was lucky I had a bit of Spanish blood, so it kind of made me they were just as interested in Spain about my story as, as the press have been in Australia um, and when I tell them about the story they find it just as just as um, just as interesting an Australian Gallego Māori boy is is an interesting combination
5: it doesn't it sounds like you're enjoying yourself Are you got any plans to come home in the near future or what's next for Carlos Blanco
0: well, I'm contracted for this world, uh, for this year for the World Series and up until the world cup so once that all finishes, I'll have to reassess and see whether the dream continues or whether I'll have to come back to reality, but, but who knows. I've, I've enjoyed my time so far and I'm really looking forward to the year ahead, both professionally and, and off the field, cause, but especially professionally because we've got an opportunity to, to do some great things this year. We've got nine tournaments, um, opportunity to travel the world playing seven, so I'm going to the, make the most of it.
5: Well, congratulations on your success in the Gold Coast and good luck for the rest of the year, mate. Thanks a lot, Stu.
1: Thank you Carlos Blanco, thank you Stu Adam, great interview on Coogee Beach the other day and it followed the IRB Sevens on the Gold Coast, the IRB doing a great job with Sevens Rugby and we can't wait for it to appear at the Rio Games. If you can't wait for your hands-free device for your car, Bluetooth, reversing camera or sat nav device then go to strike.com.au, they sponsor Rugger Matrix So if you go to them, you're helping us out too. Enter the code RUGGERMATRIX on checkout. You'll get 10% off, so there's a bit of a discount there for you. And we will be most appreciative. So check them out today, strike.com.au. Did you miss Mark Cashman? Not a bit, not with that many guests on the show today. Uh, We are looking forward to the autumn series. More interviews to come over the next couple of weeks. Don't forget, if you want to embed us, just go to the Google embed code. And if you're running a rugby blog, throw us in. Why not? can't hurt. Until next time on the show, enjoy your rugby and tune in to RuggerMatrix.com for all the shows on club rugby, international rugby, and Rugamatrix America.